Thank you, Pastor Matt. If you take your Bibles, you can turn with me to James chapter number one. What a joy this week has already been. I didn't do a good job of introducing myself um, and sharing a little bit of that. Uh, yesterday, I was focused on getting through a lot of material. You'll forgive me for that, I hope. Um, but uh, my name is Steve Brower, uh, my wife Heather over here. Uh, and we have uh, four children. One of them uh, is Grant, uh, who is part of the Contenders, uh, and we are from St. Francis, Minnesota, uh, and it is uh, really a delight to be here with everybody. It's been just a joy to see a lot of faces we know and um, people we haven't talked to in a long time and be able to just catch up and invest and uh, look forward to more of those conversations and then also the opportunity to meet new people, uh, and uh, this is a special place. Um, it's great to be able to be here um, at IRBC. Um, if you take your Bibles and we want to look at James chapter number one, now maybe you say, you know, Steve, we started um, not in James chapter one. We started, uh, you know, in James chapter three. And so now we're kind of backtracking what's going on. Um, but this is a little bit, I would suggest, uh, part of um, how we could view James, right? Um, that if we consider the book of James, um, like I presented uh, yesterday, if we consider it from a standpoint of almost on the level of wisdom literature in the New Testament, um, kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament, we see these themes um, that uh, come up again and again in the book of James. Uh, and so maybe when you're reading the book of James, you say, hey, it's talking about suffering, uh, and then you read a bunch more, and it says it's talking about suffering again. And then you read a bunch more, and it's talking about suffering again. Um, and you could do the same with you know, other themes that are woven in throughout the book of James as well. And that does feel like Proverbs, doesn't it? Um, because that's what Proverbs does um, as well. Uh, and each time we circle back around to these themes, um, when we circle back around, we're given a little bit more, a little bit of a different angle, uh, a little bit more content. And that makes it feel like Ecclesiastes, uh, where you keep coming back uh, to uh, these different aspects or different qualities or quandaries or difficulties or challenges or blessings of life. Uh, and so we see this happening throughout the book of James, uh, and it, it just reminds us of uh, the author, James, of his rich heritage uh, in the Jewish faith, of his understanding um, of the Old Testament and how that started to be fleshed out both for him personally but then for us um, as well corporately. As I mentioned yesterday, we're going to be looking at the concept um, of look, you know, kind of comparing uh, the way of wisdom from above with the way of wisdom from below. Uh, and so as we work our way this week through um, the book of James, uh, the passage that we want to look at this evening um, is James chapter 1, uh, verse number 2 uh, through 4. Just a short section of scripture. It's very familiar, um, but I just want to remind us of these truths uh, and maybe challenge us to continue to apply them in our life. Um, so if you'll follow along with me as I read, it is up there on the screen. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. Uh, wisdom from above gives meaning to our woes. You say, why use woes? Why not trials? Because woes starts with W. Can I get an amen? Right? 
Uh, and so that's why we use woes. And maybe that'll stick in your mind, maybe it won't. But either way, uh, the meaning uh, that we're talking about uh, is very clear to us. Um, these are the trials that we face. How does God redeem the trials that we face? You know, last year about this time, my family and I went on vacation down to Florida, uh, and we were uh, really rushing um, in our uh, church uh, and school ministry. We have a Christian school attached to our church. Um, it's a great delight to be a part of that uh, and to be able to see that Christian school move forward. Um, but one of the things that we needed to do is we needed another classroom. So we had a gym and we had some locker rooms and we said we need a classroom more than locker rooms. And so we converted the locker rooms into a classroom. So we tore out some walls and redid the flooring. Uh, and so that was pressing on my mind um, as we're heading to uh, vacation, right? Uh, because we had to have that classroom. Somebody asked me, they're like, what's plan B if the classroom's not done? There is no plan B. Uh, there, it has to be done. Uh, we have to have occupancy uh, by the time school starts because there are going to be children in that classroom. And so there's just this pressure uh, to get it done. And so we go on vacation. Um, this is weighing on my mind. I'm like, man, we need to see this move forward. Where I, well, I get this phone call uh, from one of the men in the church, and he said, hey, Steve, is there, are there supposed to be some people coming in working on the flooring today? And I'm like, I don't think so. We're doing all the flooring. And I said, what, what are they? And he says, well, it's just this company, and it says flooring. And um, he said, I, I, you know, unlock the building, and and they just rushed right in. And, and so I figured they knew what they were doing. And then I kept thinking about it. And I thought, well, maybe I better call pastor. And, and I said, no, I, I think you should go talk to them. Uh, why don't you go talk to them? <laughs> because I, I'm not, they shouldn't be there. And so he says, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm not there right now. I'll go back. And I'm like, oh, no, what's going on? And so I called the assistant pastor, uh, Bernie Bolt. Some of you know Bernie. And, and I said, hey, can you get over to church? Um, because something unholy might be happening. Uh, and so Bernie arrives at church, and the next thing I get is a, a picture. Uh, and there's some carpet removed from one of our hallways. And I'm like, ah, oh, you got to be kidding me. And then I get another picture, and there's some carpet removed from another hallway. And it's like, how is this possible? I just can't. And then I get a third picture, and there's carpet removed from our auditorium. And I'm like, I can't believe this. You have got to be kidding me. Uh, and so Bernie said, I don't worry. I told them to stop. He says, they, uh, they happened not to speak much English. And so it was hard for him to get them to stop. Uh, but they did eventually stop. And they were in the wrong church building. I don't even know how that's possible. I have so many questions. I'm like, didn't they give you a layout? It can't be the same. I mean, our church was like cobbled together over decades. And like there's rooms that don't go anywhere anymore. And so what, how could this be the same layout? Something should have clicked. And they were fast. They were so fast. And I was like, I'm so glad you're good at your job. And so we got this locker room. These locker rooms need to be turned into a classroom, and now we have these areas in our, you know, hallways and our auditorium that are just ripped up. And I'm like, I'm sure this is going to be a wonderful conversation with this company, and I'm sure, I, you know, this is going to be great um, to try to get this all fixed. And so I'm feeling the weight 
of all of this? Trials. Trials. Are you facing some trials right now? Now, I haven't got any phone calls, so I think everything's fine. <laughs> but are you facing some trials right now? You know, in this passage, James uh, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, there are really just two imperatives, two commands uh, that James gives us to follow. And these two commands shape what James wants to teach us regarding the believer and trials. Uh, and in verse number 2, he says, count. In verse number 4, he says, let. And so most of our time, uh, we're going to work through that first command, and, but I'm organizing my points in such a way uh, that we'll be able to recognize uh, these commands easily, right? Um, so the first, uh, first thing that we find here, the first command that we have uh, is James chapter 1, verse number 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials uh, of various kinds. Uh, first of all, we need to recognize that God does use trials to mold us. And what I mean by this, to mold us, and what I mean by this is that God uses trials to shape our lives in an external manner. Um, so they, they create a shape for us. To a certain degree, we are defined by what we go through, right? To a certain degree, we are defined by that which we endure, uh, and the first thing that James wants to lay out for us as we get into this is that trials are simply inevitable. Life is a tale of trials. And so in verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, the Greek is a little bit more vivid here for the word various. Um, in classic Greek, the word means many colored or variegated. Isn't that a fun word to think about? Uh, and so he says, you're going to meet trials of all different colors. Fantastic. Great. Great. Uh, but that is, that is exactly what he's saying. Think then of the different trials that have come your way. Let me just ask a question. Who here has suffered a, a physical injury or problem that has radically reshaped your life? Is anybody like that? You've, you've suffered something like that, right? Um, who here... Um, has experienced a financial setback or, or an unforeseen financial event that has reshaped your life. How many of you have experienced that, right? Um, who here um, has gone through an employment battle uh, that has reshaped your life? Anybody gone through that, right? Um, who here has gone through an interpersonal conflict that has reshaped your life? Anybody gone through uh, those types of things? And we could go on and on, couldn't we? I mean, we could go on and on until we get to you, whoever you are, whoever you are. We'd be like, yeah, that's me. That's the trials uh, that are there. And isn't it remarkable the number of things that are thrown at us? The old adage is true, isn't it? When it rains, and that's actually common with all men. Now, that not, might not bring you comfort. It's not just you. It's all of us. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily bring us comfort, but it is true. But don't you appreciate that James does not shy away from this truth? Because it's true. James calls believers to confront this truth rather than to turn away from it. We live it. We go through it. James does not paint a rosy picture of life as a believer of Jesus where he says, listen, if you just follow Jesus, then you will not face any difficulties in life. He doesn't say that. In fact, he embraces it full on. He says the exact opposite. 
I firmly believe that we do fellow believers a disservice. We give people who aren't believers a false view of Christianity when we give them that impression. In a very real sense, I would suggest we're deceiving them. Now, I'm not trying to say that we should go around telling everybody, hey, become a Christian. Life's horrible. But let's flip that. Life is horrible. Become a Christian. Because here's the truth. These trials affect and afflict everybody. And the only question is, is Jesus there with you? That's the question. That's what we're dealing with. And so when we consider this from what James is saying, he doesn't try to paint a different view than that. He simply says, count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So these trials are inevitable. They're also disagreeable. In this passage, the word for trial, it occurs here in verse number 2. It occurs later in verse number 12. There's a, a verbal cognate in verse 13 and 14. And these words have really two rather distinct meanings in the New Testament. And so the question is, okay, Steve, which one is meant here? So that's a great question, right? Uh, and of course, um, if you, uh, I, I should be careful how I say this. Um, in my opinion, if you are well-schooled in Scripture, um, how will you determine that? You will determine it by saying context will determine it, right? Uh, context will tell us. Uh, and so let's, let's consider uh, what our options are. What is meant uh, by trials? Is this an inner enticement to sin? Um, so we see this uh, kind of concept in various uh, scriptures uh, throughout the New Testament, but let me give you one. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. And destruction. So think about this passage, right? This word temptation is our same word. It's the same word we find here. Uh, and so this is the idea of there's this inner enticement that's there. It's a temptation that comes from within. Um, it's, the, it's our own desires that are coming out, right? Uh, that could be what trial he is talking about. What's the other option? An outward trial or difficulty. Uh, let me show you this in scripture. 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So this is Peter uh, admonishing those that he's writing to, and he's telling them, listen, this, this difficulty that comes from without, uh, that comes upon you, don't be surprised about it. Um, and he's using the exact same word. Now, in several verses in Scripture, the meaning is not clear. Let me give you one, just because I like to stir the pot. I'm not going to answer this one, but uh, the Lord's Prayer. Do not lead us into what? Hmm. So which one is that? Is that the inner enticement to sin? Do not lead us into an inner enticement to sin. <laughs> or is that the outward difficulty? Do not lead us um, into a situation uh, that is difficult from that standpoint. You say, well, which one is it? Well, you can say that out, right? Amen. You are blessed. Uh, <laughs> let me throw that out for you. Uh, that is a good thing uh, to wrestle with. But here, the meaning is fairly clear. Believers will meet trials which God redeems for his purposes. When you meet, could be translated, when you face or when you fall into. James gives us the picture that trials simply happen to the believer. Uh, that as you're going along life's journey, um, then a trial arises. This corresponds to our experience, doesn't it? 
um, that this fits what we live. So here's the point. Let's expect there to be trials that come. Wisdom from above, wisdom that accounts for God, does not pretend like there will be no difficult things. Um, it recognizes that they are there. Trials are inevitable, they're disagreeable, but they are redeemable. And so he says in verse number 3, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We know, it's no surprise, right? We know that it's there. Um, it's something that we all understand. Now maybe you can think of a difficult job. Uh, maybe you can think of a difficult job that you have had. Uh, and sometimes you know when you head into it how hard that job is going to be. And sometimes you don't know how hard it's going to be. Um, I had seen an article in the USA Today. It did an article about some of the hardest jobs in America. Uh, and what do you think they found? What are some of the hardest jobs in America? This is just a, a, an opinion piece. Uh, there's a little bit of, of data to it. Um, so I wouldn't place a lot of uh, a lot of, of value on it, uh, but yet it's, it's, it's fun to think about. The number two spot was a logger. Uh, solitude out there in the trees. Some of you would say, that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> All alone. Uh, solitude, but there's low, rate, low wage. There's a high risk of injury or even death. It's physically demanding. But you know the number one spot that they had found was taxi driver. Taxi driver. Do we have any taxi drivers in here? All right, I don't see any. That doesn't mean I'm going to make fun of them. Um, so <laughs> Uber, right? There you go, right? Um, taxi driver, long hours, low wage, difficult customers, high stress, traffic jams, inclement weather. And, and you think of all those things, it's like, yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. Um, that doesn't sound like a good day um, to go out and just be like stuck in traffic with somebody who wants to get someplace a lot quicker and is pretty sure that I'm mischarging them. Uh, you know, that, that's probably not a great job. And so we think of that taxi driver, but going into that situation, if they know that it will be challenging, maybe they can attempt to embrace it from the standpoint of what can I look forward to mastering? Difficult conversations, challenging relationships, tedious work, frustrating circumstances, um, dealing with unpleasant events which are beyond your control. I mean, say so maybe you can look at it that way. James points out that believers know that God will redeem trials. And I just want to put that in, con, in sharp contrast to that. A taxi driver may say, well, I think that this could be good for me. But what scripture says is that what God will do with the trials in your life will be good for you. And dear friends, that is a clear teaching of scripture. That is something that God desires for you to know and embrace. And this is different than what happens to those outside of a relationship with God. Hey, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't have any real relationship with God, uh, then can I just talk to you for just a moment and just let me encourage you um, to realize that the trials that this life is going to throw at you, and you say, you know what, Steve, I can handle them. I can handle them. Can I tell you, dear friend, you cannot. Um, you cannot. They will destroy you. Uh, in a thousand different ways, they will destroy you. 
And you say, no, I don't think that's the case. I think that I'm stronger than that. And I would say, look at all of human history and you will see them destroyed. People that appear to be successful, but then you get into the life and you realize the absolute devastation that has occurred. Um, here's the reality. We live in a sin-cursed world. The fall really happened. Uh, and so we're, we're fighting um, against this thing called death. Uh, that Kyle has been talking about, right? Um, and that has broken everything. And you see it all around you. And you say, well, why can't this work right? Or why can't this work right? Or why does it when I try to do this, it always falls apart? And the answer is, all of creation has been screaming at you that we live in a broken world and there needs to be a solution outside ourselves. Do you remember this morning when Kyle talked about the alien solution? And that was exactly what Jesus is. He is that person who is not like us, who became like us in order to save us. And I just want to point your eyes towards a different way of life because you need to be saved. You know, I had a dear brother at our church and he was sharing with me how he suffered the loss of his son uh, when his son was just a child. And you can imagine how that conversation goes. I mean, we're, he started attending a church. I'm getting to know him, and, and we're, we're sharing stories, and I'm finding out what's going on in his life. And he says, there's one, one event that really shaped me. And he starts talking about um, how he and his wife had a, a dear child. They have other children, uh, but they had a, a boy, and um, he was playing outside, and he ran out into the street and was struck by a car and died. And you're just sitting there listening, and here's this, here's this, this dear guy. He's, he's in his 60s. This happened decades before, uh, and the tears just well up in his eyes, and it's just, it's just heartbreaking. And you look at that, and your heart is just so sobered by it. And I asked him how he responded to it. I was concerned. I said, did it, did it push you away from God? And I loved his answer. Because he looked at me, and he said, he said, you know what, pushing me towards God. Where else could I go? That's exactly right. He said, nobody else had the answers. Doesn't that sound like Peter's response to Jesus when many were leaving Jesus because of the difficulties they were experiencing and the hard words and the difficult teachings that Jesus was sharing? And Jesus said, are you leaving too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have what? The words of life. Isn't that awesome? And friends, that is how God redeems trials. We know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He uses these trials to mold us, but he also does a work inside of us. They shape us. They define us. These things we go through, the stuff of life, but he also uses it to change us from the inside out. Uh, verse number four, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God has a deeper goal in mind. Or we could say it differently. We could say God has a more intense and personal goal in, in mind. He desires to mature you. Uh, and I tell you the truth, that God is so big, he cannot help but be personal with you right? Uh, that, that he must be involved in your life personally. And so don't think that he is unaware. That is a lie. That is not true. He is concerned about you. He is involved in your life. And you say, I don't always feel him. Me either. 
and I for sure don't always see him. But I do believe him. And his word lays out for us all of these truths, even this passage, to ground us in that, in those times when the trials seem overwhelming, to recognize that he is using them to mature us. So he says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Steadfastness here is active. Steadfastness is intended to produce something. Trials produce steadfastness. Steadfastness produces full maturity. The etymology of the word points to the idea of remaining under. Steadfastness, remaining under. Uh, one commentator, Sophie Laws, she sums this up well. She says this steadfast is, quote, active steadfast in rather than passive submission to circumstances. So think of those differences. Active steadfastness in rather than passive submission to. Now let me just develop that. This is not intended to be passive. This is not just enduring the blows that life brings down upon us, okay? Um, so let's just paint a couple pictures as we chew on this. A picture that of a boxer. And so the boxer is in the ring. Uh, and the boxer is going up against this big brute of an animal <laughs> called life. And life just starts beating the snot out of this boxer. Uh, and this boxer is just taking blow after blow after blow after blow. Uh, and he's getting more and more worn down. And you're watching this and what are you thinking? What are you waiting for? It's almost like Rocky, right? And you're waiting for that, that one moment where that boxer is able to rise up and just do like one punch to like knock life out and just, and just survive. So if that's your picture of steadfastness, can I say this as lovingly as I can? You're wrong. <laughs> really, you really, really are. Because that's not what he's talking about. That isn't what he's talking about. And if, you, if that's your view of the Christian life, then again, as lovingly as I can, and I really do mean that. I know I'm smiling, but it's just, it's humorous to me. But you're wrong. That's not right. Don't embrace that. You say, I, life just throws at me. Christian life is just so hard and tough and life itself. And, and I'm just like hunkered down. And I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm just like a, a shell or a turtle or something. And I'm just, it's just pounding and pounding and pounding. And I'm saying, that's not the picture. It isn't. So what is the picture? It's intended to be active. Think instead like a muscle that becomes stronger when it faces resistance. That's the picture. Picture a person who starts working out and they go to the gym and what happens? Day two. Day two. What happens? Yeah, you're like, I don't want to go to the gym. Why am I doing this? And then you go day three and day four and pretty soon you're a month into it. And now it's starting to make sense. Because now you're actually going, okay, it used to be, I remember, you know, when I started working out, um, you know, later in life, uh, and, and I got to that point, I mean, I would go and I'd be like, this is supposed to make me feel better, and it's like, I can't do anything for the whole day. It's like, I can't, I'm trying to lift my coffee cup to my mouth, and there's nothing but pain, and I'm like, I'm really glad I'm working out. This is awesome. It's going to be so good. Someday, I hope. <laughs> But it is, isn't it? And if you stay the course and you don't blow out a muscle group or something, <laughs> then God really 
you know, it, I mean, then that really does help you. Okay, this is the picture that we're actually given. This is active steadfastness. This is what it looks like. So please catch this picture. If as a believer you're looking at life as all of these things where it's like just pounding on you and you just can't take it, I would say you're viewing it wrongly. What it's intended to do it is God is intended for you embracing the wisdom from above, embracing the wisdom that embraces God, right? Um, to be able to look at all of those different trials and difficulties and say, Lord, make me stronger. And, and not stronger in myself, but as a submission to you, as a reliance upon you, a, a willingness to say God is using this and changing me. Uh, through it. Um, so this steadfast is, is very active. It's also ongoing. Again, verse number four. Uh, he says there, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And let steadfastness. And. It's a great word. And it introduces that command. Let. James calls us to a persistency of endurance. Believers must allow trials, to have their intended redemption by God. That's the wisdom from above. It's not crazy talk, but it is a radical reversal that only God can bring about. The road is hard and long, but it is good because of Jesus. Regardless of whether Jesus is in the picture, the road is long and hard, but Jesus makes it good. James calls us to respond like Jesus did, who endured the cross. So think about that steadfastness even with Jesus. Did he just take blow upon blow and just passively, you know, just wait, wait, wait? Um, or was Jesus marching towards an end, stronger and stronger, um, as he got closer uh, to the cross uh, from that standpoint? This is the concept. This is what we're talking about. Our road, as well, has a glorious end. And so what is it? Uh, James puts this to us both positively um, and uh, negatively. Positively, and I think he does that to give us the fullness of the concept, right? He wants to complete the whole idea. So he says, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. This is the positive. Possessing every part which makes up the whole that you may be perfect and complete. God uses these trials to build within us everything we need to be mature. Uh, and as we embrace them and see them as what God is doing, uh, then we can allow for that soundness and that healthiness to become a part of us. Wholeness, which is what James is all about. This wholehearted commitment to God. And so this is the positive aspect. And then he also puts it negatively. The same concept. Perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. The ultimate goal of God is to produce in us all the virtues and the marvelous qualities of our Lord and Savior. And of course, those are all of the qualities that we can mimic from God. And that will happen in the eternal state. But he will build that within us now. Lacking in nothing. It is ongoing. So living with wisdom means that we view trials in the same manner as God. So when God brings these trials into your life, they're not intended to beat you down. They're intended to build you up. And you say, okay, God, I would just rather you stop bringing the trials. But this is how we're able to count it joy. Because when we are with Christ, God uses those 
uh, both to confirm our faith, but also to be a witness to others. That they are able to see what God is doing in someone's life who is wholeheartedly committed to Him. Now here's what happens, I think, many times. As believers, we say, I don't want the trials. And so rather than embracing the trials and letting them be what God intended them to be, we run from them. And we say, I don't want any part of it. And what we look for then is not to use the trials as if God is actually giving them to them, as if he's actually putting them in our life. We're not looking at it that way. We're rather saying, I don't think I want any trials, and so I'm just going to try to stay away from them. And we think that that's the path of peace, but it's really the path of conflict. It's a horrible path because it puts us at odds with God, and I mean that. I really do. Because if God is bringing these in our lives on purpose, then he wants to use them. And if I'm running from them and I'm not allowing them to shape me, he's not able to use them. I'm fighting God. I'm embracing the wisdom from below rather than the wisdom from above. I'm double-minded. I'm thinking about earth, not heaven. I'm thinking about the finite, not the infinite. I look at it and say, I don't think I can take it. And God says, I know. And that's what's going to push you to me. And we're like, well, who would do that? And the answer is, you're God out of love, and he will make you more sound. Now again, if you're someone who does not know Jesus as Savior, you might look at this and say, man, that doesn't sound awesome, but let me remind you, what we're talking about happens to everybody. Trials abound for everybody. The only question is, am I walking with Jesus in it? So one of the questions that we're hammering. And Kyle has emphasized this, and I thought, yes, I want to keep bringing this up uh, and pound it into our minds, right? How is God going to make me whole? For those without Christ, trials remind me of my brokenness and push me to seek a Savior. For those with Christ, trials remind me of my brokenness and push me to rest in my sovereign. And let me just ask you a question. How do you view trials? How have you viewed trials? What about the trials that are happening in your life now? Do you see them as God's tool? Are you embracing the wisdom from James? Are you surrendering to what he is doing in your life? Or, dear friend, are you fighting him in it? If you're fighting him in it, can I just encourage you to turn that over to God? To recognize what he's doing in your life. To embrace the wisdom from above. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, can I point you to the only one who can heal the brokenness of this world? Who can take your life and reshape it into something that demonstrates a wisdom that does not reside here, but transcends this world. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. And even as we consider these truths, it is really easy in a very familiar passage to forget about these things, um, to struggle to apply them in our practical day-to-day life. We need, we need your help, Father. We're so thankful for Jesus and what he has accomplished. And as we turn our hearts towards him, we pray that you would use the words of Scripture to shape our lives. These trials that you give us help us to be turning towards you, either for salvation or for rest. In Jesus' name I pray.